a very special episode of Wrestling with the Future tonight. A very controversial episode. Wrestling with the Future of the replacement of Paul McCartney. And joining me tonight are two women who literally wrote the book. And they are Mary Ann Howard and Ann Walsh. The book, The Shadow of a Baseman, is, uh, is already making some waves. Um, not the kind of wave that these two very nice ladies wanted this book to make, but it's got the attention of some people in the Paul is Dead community that have them scratching their heads. So without further ado, I'm going to forego the normal flowery introductions and get right into talking to the wonderful Marianne Howard and the irrescible, is that the word irrescible? Ann Walsh. I like it, so what the hell? How you doing, Annie? I'm good. How are you? Thank I'm you wonderful. Marianne, how are you, kid? I'm great. Thanks. So, uh, as I said at the top of the show, the book is getting some attention, not necessarily some of the attention you wanted to get, but I guess, uh, look, as long as they spell your name right, it's all good, isn't it? It is. <laughs> And as long as they buy the book, it's all good. So here's the controversy as I see it and as I'm being told. The book, and like there's, you know, a thousand Paul is dead books, okay? And probably literally more. Um, and um, the most notable, of course, and if you're following the Paul is dead movement, the memoirs of Billy Shear, but Thomas E. Harriet. Uh, both uh, both the red cover and blue cover editions have sold innumerable copies into the mega millions of copies, uh, making someone a very wealthy person. I'm not quite sure that Thomas U. Harriet is that person. I have my suspicions on who that person is. Yeah. However, since uh, the uh, Paul is Dead movement has gained some legs, and some traction uh, with people like our very dear friend, Vince Russo, who has been a guest on the show three times. Uh -huh. uh, Vince Russo and Mike Williams both have been here. And we did an entire episode um, on Paul is Dead. But this book brings an interesting light to the Paul is Dead question, Marianne. The question was, how did Paul die? When did Paul die? who replaced him, but the interesting thing in this book, you seem to answer that question with Paul's own voice because it's written from the perspective of Paul. How was this possible, and what psychic did you use? <laughs> I want to know. Being a professional psychic for a living, I want to know who did it. So let's let's talk. What happened? Go how, ahead. First of all, w welcome to the show. Officially, welcome to the show. And how did this book come about? And uh, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> how did the book come about? Yeah, I mean, you don't is... just sit down one day and say, "Oh, I'm going to write a Paul's Dead book." Yeah. No, actually, Anne and I met through a mutual friend. Okay. And we were told, you know, you guys have a lot in common. Definitely Paul. And we we must, the first weekend, we must have talked for hours. It was like we're a long lost soulmate, you know, sister, soul sisters or whatever. And um, 
we were probably about six weeks into knowing each other and communicating on a regular basis. Right. Then we decided to go ahead and say, okay, let's pull our research together and write a book. Just that simple. Yeah. It's what happens during COVID. And how did the subject matter uh, evolve from the death of Paul McCartney to the death of Paul McCartney through Paul's eyes? It's a very interesting and unique take on Paul is dead. We should tell people in the interest, again, I, I preface everything by saying in the interest of full disclosure, the rumor was and remains 56 years later that Paul McCartney, the biological Paul, mm -hmm. we will call him biological Paul, from the Beatles, somehow or another, died by some nefarious means in 19, around 66. So they say. Although some have it as late as 67, and there is an irrefutable, uh, uh, undisputable newspaper headline that seems to corroborate that. I've checked. It's the Daily Sun newspaper from uh, England, London, in fact, published in London. Uh, and I actually reached out to them. They said the cover is genuine, it is legitimate, and it was posted and taken down four days later at mm -hmm. someone's orders. So I don't know who gave the orders to remove that, uh, that newspaper headline from every newsstand in, in Great Britain, but that happened. So... The story goes that Paul died in a car accident after leaving a recording studio. Tell me if I'm missing any of this, okay? So he leaves the recording studio uh, in a huff, has an argument with uh, either uh, George Martin or John Lennon, depending on who you listen to, um, wasn't happy with the recording. Late in the morning, you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, he rushes out of the studio, gets in his Aston Martin, speeds off at a high rate of speed in the rain, where he stops, don't ask me why he would stop, to pick somebody up. You're laughing. That's already one hole in the story. Who wants to take this? Ann, take it. Um, yeah, there's a little... The original rumor started in 1969, and it was a, a fabricated story. Um, when the rumor broke, they they wanted to know what happened. So this um, guy, he was from Michigan, and Fred LeBaire, he wrote an article. Right. Uh, and he was just basically using the clues that they had in the Beatles music and artwork and everything to formulate a story. Um, but going back and looking at um, documentations through, you know, Beatle biographies, and actually a lot of Shadow of the Baseman is uh, original work. It's uh, original material from the 60s, uh, wow. from the time. Uh, the quotes that we have, those are Paul's quotes from that time that we have found in newspaper articles and magazines. Yeah. So it's all original from that time period. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we know now that uh, the Beatles were not in the recording studio from 
the end of June of 66, and they did not return until November of 24th, 1966. So that part of the rumor where he stormed out and then Huff, you know, over an argument with John Lennon is right. true because they were not in the recording studio at right. that time. Um, well, so it's always been the notion that the recording studio always played, and Marianne, I'd be curious to get your intake on this one too. Uh, the recording studio element of the story was always a critical element because it played into the creative aspect of the the difference between the Beatles. John and Paul were clearly the most creative with George being right behind them. Uh, and Ringo for all intents and purposes, just being there. If you listen to basically some people yeah. saying that he's lucky to have even gotten the job. Um, because he's really not a great drummer, but we'll talk about that later on in the conversation. Cause we got some questions about that. Um, the other thing is that it, as I said, it played in critically to the, the element of the story where it created this conflict and creative control is what we're getting at. And that's always been the crux of the, you know, why he would storm out, why he hopped in his car and why he took a powder. So Marianne, give me your, give me your take on, on uh, what Marianne has just, I mean, what the, what Anne has just uh, uh, brought forward. Well, my take is that I don't think that occurred. Um, he wasn't, he and John didn't have those arguments. I don't think they were in creative odds. Um, they were brothers. So I think this, the story is that because it goes along with Billy's temperament and how Billy and John interact after Paul is replaced, not so right. much before he was replaced. Well, and that's when to come out with something that had something to do with Paul and his story and his personality and how John and Paul interact. Well, be before we had a long way to go before we get there. <laughs> a long way to go before we get there. That's why I told everyone this is actually part one of a two-parter. Because I'm bringing you ladies back for part. You think we're going to cover all this in one episode? You're out of your freaking mind. The big book. Two parts for this one. <laughs> and three if necessary. But no, definitely two. Here's the thing, though. You know, a, every rumor... And I don't care how old it is or how new it is. Look, and we all know it. Okay. We're all adults in the room here. Every rumor has an element of truth that gives it legs that, that makes it get up and go. It does, doesn't just happen. Now I get the whole 1969 article bit. I, I have a, an actual copy of it. So I, and I get it and I read it, but. If you read the article, it reads very different than the narrative. The narrative is not what the article states. It's very different. And the timing is off. And a lot of it, the timing is way off. So my question to you guys is how did you reconcile 
the article with the actual real life timing. Who wants to take that one? Well, um, what the heck? Tony who was a Beatles press officer, came out with a book called John, Paul, George, Ringo, and Me. And in that book, he states that the rumor of Paul's death started in mid-September 1966. So we took it from there, basically. Right. And okay. There are people, and you know this, Anne, and you know this, Marianne, the, uh, there are people who have said that Paul died as early as, and they're using the specific date of mm -hmm. September 11th, 1966. In fact, to quote the book Memoirs of Billy Shears, it was actually in the early morning hours of September the 12th of 1966, around 4 to 5 a.m. Now, before we go any further, we have to establish two things. Did he, in fact, die, number one? Or, number two, did he just want out? And that has been spoken about, and you both know it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who wants to take that one? Marianne, take that one. What am I... What, what am I... Uh... <laughs> What am I answering here? He, why we don't think it was September 11th or yeah, sure. that he, he wanted out. I think he did want out. Um, well, did, did, and the question was, did he in fact die or did he, or did he want out? Unfortunately, I think he, he wanted out. And as a result of maybe wanting out, he's, he's died. He was taken out. That's what I'm, thank you. I knew you'd catch, you're a smart lady. I knew you'd catch on. <laughs> Okay, so now, Anne, jump. Yeah. You're the you're the co-author of this book, Shadow of Baseman. Jump in here where your uh, partner in crime left off. Tell us. Uh, by the way, no pun intended. Partner in crime here. So because uh, <laughs> I believe a crime was committed. I believe a crime was committed. I believe that. Quite frankly, I believe Paul was killed. That's mm -hmm. what I think. And I've said that previously and people laughed at me so what do you think T take me through this uh this uh, scenario because we can't go further until we establish whether you guys think he's actually dead no or I, was it just all a ruse to sell records no they no. didn't need to do that they were very popular still at the time yeah no i believe he was taken out um mostly because of his political views um he was very involved in many controversial issues of the time um he was anti-war um he was pro-civil rights and he was against the drug agendas he didn't want to push uh drugs um sure. i think the crown is behind his death also um yeah so that that's where our uh, research has taken us uh, into his political point of views. What, what, and for, for those people who don't know Paul, for all intents and purposes, and it's been proven, I think, factually, was far more extremist politically than John Lennon ever was. I think we saw 
a more flamboyant political John in the latter 60s to early 70s when he finally realized that he was free of the Beatles and had his own voice and his own agenda, so much to the point where President Richard Nixon tried to deport him back to England. Um, and we're going to talk about that briefly, briefly. But um, because that it all ties in. It all ties into the story. So given the fact that we both agree, we all agree, all three of us agree that he was taken out. Um, so what's to gain by it? Who wants to? Th- Marianne, take that question. What's to gain by taking him out? Well, uh, we believe there was an agenda of moving the Beatles and along with a lot of the other British groups to influence, um, as Anne said, pushing an, uh, drugs. LSD was a big component back then. Paul was adamantly against anything that had to influence them influencing the fans one way or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, they would say a lot of times well, on interviews about voting. Well, no, I didn't vote. Well, why didn't you vote? Who would you voted for? Well, because right. they went by our records if they this person liked this person. Yeah. So, you know, he um, he wasn't going to push these things that were coming down the pike. Well, I'll tell you. And, and I, I'm going and I'm glad you said that because I wanted to address something. I've heard other, without naming who they are, uh, other Paul is dead, you know, quote unquote researchers um, invoke the Illuminati and Luciferianism and uh, the Council of uh, 300 and also the Tavistock Institute. Um, all of these organizations, nefarious as they are, they do exist. However, there is an industry that exists that's far more powerful than all of them. It's the music industry. That industry, the music industry, has so much pull, so much influence over people's lives. You don't need the Illuminati. You don't need Tavistock. You don't need any of that stuff. All you need is a band that looks like they know what they're doing. And that can forward your agenda and boom, slam dunk. There you go. Look at the Beatles. Look at the monkeys. Look at the Dave Clark five. They flew underneath the radar so smoothly. Nobody even realized that they were spies. And nobody even talks about it. Nobody talks about it. Um, one of the things, let's let's jump forward a little bit because it's it's interesting. Uh, I I had an advanced copy of some of the information in the book, although I'm still waiting for my copy to get here. Aww. But some of the information that I have is, again, written from Paul's perspective, from Paul's state of mind at the time. Given the fact that much of the material is time sensitive to that period how did you each of you make it topical to play into 2020 in the 21st century here wow um i think it was just why i could take the big bucks kid 
<laughs> well, a lot of what's going on now, I think, started back in the 60s. Mm -hmm. And it just has progressed, you know, all these years. And okay. music industry is what we have today. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, we're still fighting the same topics. You know, we still want peace, civil rights, and, uh, wow. I would like to have a drug-free society. That'd be nice. Right. Um, I, I, I have a heart for those uh, people that suffer from addiction. Sure, um, absolutely. So we all do. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah. So it's just a continuation, really, yeah. from the sixties until now. That's so, Marianne, let, let's um, let's explore this. Why is it important? that we know Paul is dead. Why is it important that we know he was replaced? What's to gain by it? Isn't the music the music? Isn't the purpose of music no. to give you joy and, and happiness and make you feel? So tell me, uh, so tell me what's wrong with- Where's the joy and happiness that we didn't get from Paul? Because he didn't get to continue his career, his life, giving us the music that he was doing at that time. Well, there are people who I mean, would say and other people have made, uh, you know, it's in, yeah. it's just not, it's still not there. Besides the fact you, you took the most, the most recognized, the most popular man, one of the most popular members of the Beatles of the number one band in the world, who's traveled everywhere, taken right. pictures everywhere. And you replaced him. I mean, it's 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 an atrocity in my opinion. It's fraud. It's, well, here's here's the, well here's the question. Really, does it does it make a difference? It, again, I revert back to the question of: Isn't it all about the music? Isn't it to make you feel, to make you laugh, cry, uh, smile, to feel evoke some kind of emotion from you? Does it matter who does that? If it's a guy who looks like Paul and kind of sounds like him a little bit, because you know, if you listen to the, he does kind of, he's different. He's, he's really different. Different key. You know, but he puts you in mind of Paul. Okay, so who's hurt? Who who's really being hurt by it? Who wants to take that? I think his fans are being hurt by it. I think his legacy is tremendously damaged by it. Um, yeah. His replacement did not follow his uh, vision. Well, uh, and, and and I accept that, but there's a guy running around calling himself Paul McCartney that's mm -hmm. um, anywhere from 79 years old to 83 years old, depending on who you want to listen to, who um, who is filling stadiums with 100,000 people and more wherever he goes. And uh, I don't know about you, but I, I think that's, pretty much keeping the name Paul McCartney alive. So, um, who, who was he hurting? I still go back to his fans. I, his yeah, murder, but his fans are there a hundred thousand. But are they there under false pretenses? Are they there for, are they there to be Paul's fans? Are they there, there for Billy's fans? I mean, there you go. I poked the bear and the bear woke you up. The bear, yeah, you know, you poked me up. <laughs> That's what I'm getting at. Thank you, thank you for fighting back. I I like when people fight back. Here's and and here is the gist of it. You're absolutely right. You said the two words 
that I wanted somebody to say. False pretenses. Because he's not the guy. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. So, how did the other individuals in the collective group called the Beatles, by the way, check it out. Nice shirt. Huh? Yeah. Abbey Road. (laughs) I got my Abbey Road shirt on. In honor of you guys, I've pulled out my Abbey Road shirt. So, here's the question, though. Uh, How did the collective group called the Beatles react pre uh paul and post paul lookalike um has to be some kind of psychological fingerprint that one or both of these i'm sure paul made a an impression on on his bandmates but likewise i'm sure this film but and by the way what are we calling him now is he billy shepherd billy campbell billy shears what, you see a sign behind me that says <laughs> the one and only Billy Shears. Yeah. That, and I don't even know if that's his real name. I just put it up there. Is it? Are we saying Shepherd now, or what are we saying? I just say Billy. Um, I don't oh, think we're ever, nobody's ever. I don't know that anybody's ever heard his last name spoken. We've heard Billy spoken, but we've never heard a last name. So right, it could be anything well the name that has been bantered around for a very long time was billy shepherd because there was an actual billy shepherd and he was in fact the writer of a writer and a chief editor of the the beatles um (laughs) fan magazine Mm -hmm. Uh okay and so we have to acknowledge that, yeah, there was a real Billy Shepard. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as to is he the Billy Shepard that we're talking about today? I don't know. Um, if well, anybody Billy has Shepherd, any- that Billy Shepard would not be this Billy Shepard because that, that was a totally different age. And okay, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. So let's talk a little bit about Magical Mystery Tour. Because there was a little uh, eight-second or 12-second blurb in Magical Mystery Tour that went past so many people. They never saw it. They never got it. A lot of people never even acknowledged it. Uh, They ask Paul, how old are you? And he says, 30. 30. But there's a problem. (laughs) <laughs> Real Paul would have been 25 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now That falls in line with Again as I said Previously depending on who you Listen to he's either 79 or 83 or 84 depending on who you listen to Right um, You know I don't know But you know he, If he's in his 80s but I'll tell you what brother he's He's, he's moving good. pretty good Looking pretty good for a guy that's needed, but I guess that's what having money will do for you. But um, let's talk about this. Yeah, he did. He's looking good. Yeah, well, we we have to talk about this because, uh, you know, as you said, you know, he is perpetrating a a false pretense on the fans. Some would say perpetrating a lie. 
Uh, and there are other people who say, you know what? He's doing no harm. He's actually, you know, edifying Paul, keeping Paul's name alive, keeping, you know, the Beatles music alive. Well, first of all, the Beatles music isn't going anywhere. No. It's timeless. That music isn't going anywhere. Um, but there had to be a more personal reason that you took the time and the energy and the effort and were willing to risk criticism to write yet another, you know, one of many thousands of Paul is Dead books. But I noticed that you guys know none of you have ever referred to this as the Paul is Dead book. And it was that a deliberate choice. And Ann Walsh, you got a smirk on your face <laughs> that, that's telling a story. I want to hear it. Um, yeah, we chose not to put it out. Um, it's, it's a mystery. Uh, to me, it's a true crime mystery. It's kind of a whodunit. Uh, it's a whodunit. And that's right. the question, whodunit. Who, who wants to answer it? Whodunit. Well, that would sort of defeat the purpose of somebody reading the book. <laughs> Maybe we, we tell who does it in the well, book. Well, and that's what I was getting at. It doesn't really tell you who done it. You guys suggest strongly who you think who done it, mm -hmm. but you're not saying they done it. Right. Because. Uh, uh... Evidence points that way, that the mob did it, the craze, but there's no definitive, uh, you know, they were never, you know, uh, convicted of a, that crime. They were convicted of killing two other men. Um, well, the interesting yeah. thing is, and if you look at the Beatles pre-1966 and then post-1966, there was a lot of uh, sorrow in their wake in 1966 and beyond uh mal evans was mysteriously gunned down by the police mm -hmm. um george harrison mysteriously disappeared and fell ill very quickly and died very quickly uh john lennon was shot by somebody nobody ever heard of before um carrying a copy of catcher in the rye interestingly enough um it seems that whenever somebody crazy kills another individual, they seem to be almost always carry catcher in the rye with them. I don't know why. I just, I, maybe I'm missing something, but we'll talk about it. Um, so, yeah, who wants to take this? Uh, there, you know, there were other ones that died as well. Tara Brown died shortly. Well, that's what I'm getting fall. at. The, 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 the Beatles left. They left uh, you know, a body a count in their way. Of, yeah. That's exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Marianne. Because <laughs> that's what I'm getting at. The body count rose substantively mm -hmm. after 1966 in a big way. Mm -hmm. uh, the most public being Mal Evans, because he was gunned down by the police for no reason by a rogue group. Of Los Angeles police officers. Well, he had a suitcase of a memoirs book that he was writing. Exactly. Funny, ain't it? It's funny. 
Funny, ain't it? So what do you think he was saying in those memoirs? Hopefully he was saying the truth, but it's not going to matter. We're not going to know. It's That suitcase disappeared. No one knows where it is. No one knows where anything that was part of that is. It's all gone. So what role does Derek Taylor have in all of this? Uh, he was a Beatles press officer at the time. Yeah, I know who he was. That's yeah. why I'm asking you. Which, I don't know if we what know what role, role he had in anything. Well, because you you know why I'm saying this. If you if you follow the uh, Paul is dead movement, some people, uh, quite a bit of them, in fact, think that Derek Taylor was a spy, that he was the eyes and ears for someone who had it out for the Beatles uh, or for particular members of the Beatles. Um, for whatever reason. So his name has come up a lot. Also the name, um, as I mentioned, Mount Evans, uh, the name, um, oh God, the, the gentleman from, uh, from Sweden. Um, uh, oh, what the hell? Say it again, please. Neil Aspinall. No, Who not Neil Aspinall. No, I know who Neil was. Neil was the former, uh, head of Sony. Yeah. Records. Yeah. Who are you? Um, Jorgensen, uh, a gentleman, he was a photographer, Beatles photographer. Freeman. Jorgensen. Uh, Emilio Larry was a Larry. Yeah, you, you guys, well, you apparently don't know who, hmm. who, um, who uh, Sven Jurgensen was? Well, no, he was a uh, he was a, a Beatles photographer credited with uh, a lot of their psychedelic look, a lot of their uh, later work. Um, so, and his wife actually came up with the Beatles haircut. Astrid, no, 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 that's right. That was another lady. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm going off. Yeah. So. Uh, Talk to me about your book. Uh, you have, um, you seem to have a, 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 a pretty interesting book, um, but I'm not hearing, and I'm, I'm going to be very candid with you, uh, I'm not hearing two women defending their book like I thought I was going to hear. So, um, and I think I may have like surprised you with some of my questions because I, I, I got a lot of silence here quite frankly. <laughs> um, so what, what was it or what is it that, uh, that's got your tongue tonight? Uh, are, are you afraid to, I mean, you know, the, the book is, is selling. So people are talking the cat's right. out of the bag. In other words, is what I'm telling you. So we have to talk about this book because we want to sell more copies for you. So what's going on with the shadow of a basement? Where did the title come from? Oh, the shadow uh, came from the lyrics of uh, yesterday. Uh, the shadow hanging over me. That, that kind of uh, prompted the imagery and the whole right. thing around the book is that there's this shadow and uh, there's this lingering problem for the rest of the surviving Beatles that they had to um, go through. Um, always knowing, you know, Paul died, but wasn't being able to talk about it and grieve right, publicly right. or 
have any memorial for him or whatever. Right. So right. the idea of the shadow came from really that song. And uh, I had a uh, handwriting analysis done on yesterday. And when he wrote the lyrics to that song, he was in a depressed state of mind. So that was right. telling me going through a lot at that time. Uh, and that was in May of 1965 when he wrote the lyrics. Now he actually wrote a tune before, about a year before that. Right. So, um, so we used the shadow. Uh, that's how we came up with the shadow. And of course he was the baseman for the, the Beatles. Well, it's interesting because, you know, uh, Paul McCartney was, uh, will, will forever be credited with writing yesterday. But lo and behold, as things would happen, when a movement takes legs, sometimes the truth comes out that uh, upsets the apple cart. Come to find out that there is a gentleman who claims that he wrote yesterday. Um, and, uh, and so there are a number of questions now as to who wrote the early Beatles hits and why all of a sudden in 1965... Did we see such a stark and dramatic change in the lyrical content and the lyrical style and the melodic style and tempo of the uh, of the staccato of the music in the 65 66 time frame? Who wants to take that one? You're saying that you think that, that that changed in 65? I think that was just Paul progressing, if you're talking him specifically. Well, not Paul specifically. It was Paul and the rest of the band, the entire band. They were also growing 19, up. Well, think about 1965, 66 was the Revolver, Sgt. Mm -hmm. Pepper, you know, in that time well, frame. Rubber Soul, Rubber Soul and Revolver. Right. 67 was um, Sergeant Pepper, and that right. fell under Billy's jurisdiction area. Of right. But the, the point I'm trying to make is there was a, a, a an immediate, it wasn't even gradual. It was an immediate change in music style. Immediate. Now, if that happens in 65 and Paul dies in 66, then something was afloat before he died mm -hmm. that either A, he did not agree with, or B, he was being told to keep up a front that he didn't want to keep up. By the way, the uh, poster behind Ann Walsh and the photo behind Mary Ann Howard are two different photos of Paul but my sense is that they are both biological Paul. Correct. Yes. Okay. How many years apart were they taken or were they taken relatively in the same time frame? Well, are you talking about this one or the that? one directly over your uh, left shoulder? This one here that I'm pointing yes, to? Yes. That one is 60. September 66. 66 yeah. yeah so that just would have prior. been that would have been just prior to his passing mm -hmm. okay so now uh and the uh, the photo i'm seeing looks like it's circa ed sullivan time frame yeah it's uh 
It was taken about the time uh, 1964 during the American tour, I believe. Okay, so tour, tour of 64, anyways. So, so that would have been the uh, definitely around the Ed Sullivan time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so, given the information we have, uh, what's the end game of uh, of propelling the Paul is Dead movement, or in in your case? The um, I, I wouldn't even know what to call it. It's not a poll is dead movement because you're not a poll is dead book. What what's the uh, the end game in in propelling the the mystery? Is it to solve the mystery or is it to say if you if you uh, to say to your reader, you know, if this makes you think, you know, let us know or uh, contact the authorities or do what? What are we doing here? Uh, uh, is there a uh, call to arms? <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. It's just basically getting our research out there um, because it's it's original material taken, like I said, from the 60s, interviews, uh, newspaper articles, um, even some FBI files that I found online. Um, so it's just basically uh, just getting our research out there for people to discern for themselves what they believe. Right. Um, well, now, how yeah. much trouble did the, uh, the the federal government give you uh, filing a Freedom of Information Act request? No, no. Actually, if you go onto the FBI website, they have um, through the Freedom of Information Act, they do have um, where you go into their archives, and they, there's a few reports that they have on the Beatles, and that's where I actually found out that the Beatles were being followed by the FBI and how that all oh, came about. They were considered, for, for those people who don't know what we're talking about, the Beatles were considered subversive. Mm. They, were, they were considered subversive pinko commies back in the day. Yes. Uh, people don't understand that. Uh, and I think maybe um, there is even a, perhaps a part two of the book. Was, I think I've just given you a shitload of information. Maybe I have to co-author your second book. <laughs> we did. Uh, I we was present. And I've, I've so there is a sequel coming at some point. So Say again, Mary. We left a seat. We left a cliffhanger in the back. First chapter of the next book is in the back yeah. of the book. Yeah. Oh, I know all about it. I got little birdies that tell me stuff. <laughs> I do. I know all about it, kiddo. Um, and I told this story on the show before. I was uh, present when Denny Lane sat down with a group of musicians, uh, Southside Johnny of uh, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes were among them uh, at a club. And this this happened. I can just tell you straight up it happened because if it didn't happen, I couldn't tell it publicly. And I'm telling it publicly for the second time. Um, and he told the story of Paul getting arrested in 1980. The story that he told was in 1987. Seven years removed. He had a few drinks in him, but that no detail was left unturned. I mean, he told everything that he uh, that he believed. Um, there are people who believe even today that Danny Lane is up to his eyeballs in the uh, cover up of Paul McCartney's death, despite the fact that he and Paul 
biological Paul were very, very dear friends. So, uh, you know, you have to wonder uh, whether it's true or not, whether it's, you know, the story makes for a hell of a story, okay? But if you impose the element of truth into it, then it makes it not only interesting but compelling. Now you want to know more. So, given that premise, what more is there to tell? I know there's a part two coming out. Uh, it'll be the motives behind his death, his murder, and why he was taken out. Well, I'm sure you have to speculate on it. I'm sure you've, you and Marianne have asked each other that question. You know, play counterpoint point, play devil's advocate. You know, you play the defense attorney, you play the prosecutor. There's got to be. We did that a lot. <laughs> well, there, yeah, well, that's how you, you write a good, you know, a, a good book. You know, one has to play devil's advocate. That's so, very um, <laughs> just for curiosity, who played the uh, prosecutor in this scenario? I was the one that constantly was questioning everything back, I think, as far as. Okay. It's just my, it's just my nature and my background. So. Okay. Terrific. <laughs> So what what do you think, Ann Walsh, what do you think was your um, your catalyst? Was it personal? Was it professional? Was it a need to know? Or was it something more deep-rooted? What was your catalyst for wanting to involve your time like this? Oh, I've been a Beatle fan uh, ever since I was young. Um, Paul was always my favorite uh, Beatle. And it's just the um, wanting to know. It's a mystery, and I love mysteries. And, and I, Marianne Howard, same question for you. It's this. It's the same thing. I'm a little bit older than Anne, slightly. So, I mean, I was actually... A little girl watching the Ed Sullivan show fell in love with Paul. I mean, that's first. That's the that's the premise. Most all of us girls that grew up at that stage had our little yeah. crushes on this one or that one. Oh sure. So well, clearly, Paul was the uh, the cute was one. one. John was the smart one. George was the quiet one, and Ringo was the quote uh, quote funny one. When people really don't have any idea what they're talking about, Ringo was the serious one. George was the funny one. Paul was the political one. And John could give a shit. <laughs> and he really could. That all could true. Less. That's all true. And that's the fact. That is the fact. So let us talk about some of the comparative works that are out there. Of course, I mentioned the memoirs of Billy Shears. There's uh, also another book called Paul is dead, say it ain't so, um, where they purport to actually tell you who they think. Again, another another uh, kind of, not whodunit, but yeah, kind of a whodunit. Kind of tell you who they think did it without saying who they think did it. Um, there's a lot of books out there. How do you think your guys' book uh, stacks up against some of the more salacious, more commercially appealing books that are out there. And by the way, tell everybody, how many pages is this book? 400. 
456. How many? 456. 456. Yeah. That's like a phone directory. <laughs> we were and, the, and all of the information in that book was acquired publicly. Yes, uh, yes. The research. So you wrote an entire book from the public archive. Uh, yes, magazine. Did you speak to any people involved in the case? Um, and would you like to? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I really like to do that. I'll take care of that. <laughs> and you guys, I don't know if you if you watch the show regularly. I've only done two things in my life. Only two things: pro wrestling and music. Mm -hmm. I was a recording engineer. And I DJed in clubs. That was and radio stations all over the country. That's what I did. Music and wrestling. And so I, I have a few connections. I got a few contacts. Like the phone company. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's and it's an interesting. It's an interesting read. I will tell you that. Just from what I've, you know, what I was able to get my hands on. It's an interesting read, but you're leaving, I think you're leaving a lot on the table. I really think you need to kind of, um, if you're going to do a part two, and I know you are, I think you really need to kind of hone the, um, the, the wheat from the chaff here and like, you know, get the, skim the curd off the top of the milk. You know, because there's a lot of liquid here, but you need some solids. Um, it's a good read from what I saw. I'm looking forward to seeing the full 450 pages. I haven't gotten it yet, but I will. The other thing is um, you've got to be careful how much you use from the public domain because that's available to anybody. You know? What you, I think, what you do, though, effectively, is you tell the story in plain, simple language. And it's, it's an easy read. It's easy on the eyes. Right. Which is really critically important because people don't want to go blind trying to read a book. You know? Um, so, Marianne, you and I connected first um, when it came to this book. And we talked... Uh, at some length, we have a lot of familiar ground here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you guys will be back for a part two. We're actually wrapping up part one right now. Um, but you will be back for part two. I would very much like the both of you for the next episode, um, really kind of research some private sources and tell me what you think would have been the game, the end game, for the Beatles going on without biological pull, and why was the choice made? Here's a question we can start talking about now. Why was the choice made to go with Billy? For the, for the sake of this conversation, I will refer to him as Billy Shepard. Why do you think, and both of you, I want both of you to jump in on this. I'll start with Ann first. Go ahead. Why do I think Billy uh, 
they switched him out? Um, well, for his political um, point of views. There's even a, a call for Paul to become prime minister, and I think had he gone that route, he would have been a great peace act activist for them. Um, much like uh, President Kennedy would have been. And you, you take a look at the politics of that time, um, there's a lot of assassinations um, from political leaders like you know John Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and they're right. very interested in the peace movement and not war. Um, and that, I think that would have been Paul. He wanted peace. Interesting. Very interesting. Marianne, what do you think? I, I agree with what, obviously, with what Ann's saying. We, we pretty much are in sync with most of this. Um, Paul also, you know, he, he, was in, he was inquisitive and he had a need to know things. It bothered him when he didn't know something somebody else did and he wanted to find those things out. Um, he wanted to find out what happened to Kennedy. He was very actively pursuing the information from, you know, discussing the Warren Commission and talking to Mark Lane personally, wanting to help him out with his his inconvenient truth. Um, we touch on all this. That all this stuff is in the book, um, in in the narrative that we keep going. We go through um, how these things all played into his his demise that, you know, they might've told him, yeah. you know, you're going to get, you're going to get yourself killed if you don't pay attention, if you don't step in line, but it wasn't a line he wanted to step right. into. Sure. Well, and you could get yourself killed if you don't play ball. Yep. You know, here's the, uh, the giveaway for me. Um, we didn't see the Beatles together as the group for almost three years, from 1966 to 1968. And when we did see them, Paul was very clearly and obviously a very different-looking guy. Um, from the shape of his face to his height to the color of his eyes mm -hmm. to the structure of his uh, nose and cheeks, a very, very different guy taken away from the guys, a very different looking guy. However, when you put Paul with the other three guys, he looks like one of the Beatles. I should say when you take Billy, when you take Billy and put him with the other three guys, he looks like one of the Beatles. The giveaway for me was the concert they did on the David Frost show. Now, why was that important? Well, I'll tell you why. Because Paul McCartney, biological Paul McCartney, sat down with David Frost in 1963. Okay? Mm -hmm. On that show, they barely acknowledged each other. Never said a word to each other. That's not they Paul. <laughs> even acknowledge each other. That, that's the giveaway. Mm -hmm. That's the giveaway. You know, you can change a lot about yourself, but you're not going to change your height. You're not going to change your eye color uh, unless you've got color contacts and they weren't even invented until the 1980s. Right. Um, so that's it. Change your ears, you yeah, know. For, for the people who have made the argument, well, he had contacts. Uh, uh, sorry, your argument falls like, falls short like a fart in church. Because they weren't even invented till the 80s, okay? So color contacts, forget about. 
Um, the other argument that falls so flat you could roll it over with a steam engine uh, is the notion that somehow that somehow Paul had gotten into a serious, serious wreck and had radical reconstructive surgery on his face. I accept that argument, but there's one flaw in it. All the surgery in the world is not going to change a bone structure because they have to work with the structure that's there. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to change. It's not going to make your face longer. Right. They're not going to put in a longer chin for you because no such apparatus existed at the time. Now you can buy and sell long and short chins and and pretty much anything else you want that's made of, uh, you know, resin or, or any kind of plastic material that goes into your body. But uh, as you can tell, I'm also very passionate about this. And that's why I wanted you here. And we will do a part two next week. Um, so for, uh, oh, before I, before I let you go, I want you both to plug your social media, plug the book, Tell people where they can get it. Do all of that stuff, and then I'll then I'll escort you out of here. <laughs> like the fine gentleman. You I can am. get the book on Amazon.com under the the title "The Shadow of a Baseman." Um, baseman being two words. I know it's sometimes that you know they like to have their algorithms do a little funky things, um, and we're you know that's that's where self published. So that's where the book is located. There you go. And Anne, where can people reach you? Social media? Uh, Facebook. Facebook. Yes, uh, we have our own author page, uh, Shadow of the Baseman. Mary Ann, you're also available on Facebook as oh, well? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know she is. Oh, yes, you know you I am. Find this lady. You'll find her all over Facebook. You can find me all over many social media platforms, the way things are going up and down and flipping around. Well, and I will tell people, uh, now it's time to get to, to make it real. Um, I want to tell people, um, we have, I have, on behalf of Wrestling with the Future, I have deactivated our Instagram. I have deactivated our Twitter out of protest. Um, I will not be censored. I do not approve of censorship in any way, shape, or form. We will not any longer support Twitter. We will no longer support Instagram. Facebook is on my shit list right now. But out of necessity, we're still there. We're maintaining a presence only for as long as I need to. And then Facebook can go kiss my ass. But we are no longer uh, going to occupy social media in that regard. We, however, have acquired our own web domain, and we're going to rip the shit out of everybody there. So join us on Wrestling with the Future. I'm Angelo DeCipio. Happy wrestling, everybody. Take care of each other. Take care of yourself. Goodbye. Goodbye.